Now, I want you to imagine what I'm going to say next because I checked and there was no budget for this. In my hand is a needle. It is little, it's hard to see, and the eye of the needle is practically imperceptible. And here comes a camel. Now, behold, as I grab the camel and with a little effort, push it through the eye of the needle. Before your very eyes, the camel has passed through the eye of the needle and it emerges on the other side in one piece. How amazed would you be? Thank you. <laughs> How amazed would you be if I was able to do this before you? In that same way, our passage today should amaze us because we see something that Jesus said was as difficult as a camel passing through the eye of the needle. An impossible thing. A rich man comes into the kingdom of God. Oftentimes, we have lost the sense of amazement and wonder when someone comes into the kingdom of God. And that's not right. So let us come to the passage today with renewed wonder for God's work in people's lives. Now, our passage today starts with such a simple statement. Verse 1, he entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, we see here that Jesus comes to Jericho and as he is passing through this town on his journey to Jerusalem, throughout Luke, right, we have been following the ministry of Jesus. As he moves slowly towards Jerusalem, the end goal of his ministry. Throughout his ministry, Jesus has been telling his disciples about why he's going to Jerusalem. Jesus is going there to die. In Jericho, we have seen Jesus deal with the rich man who was not able to give up his wealth to follow Jesus. In Jericho, we see the blind man who was healed through his faith in Jesus. His faith has saved him. And here, as we continue following Jesus as he ministers in Jericho, we see the last public ministry in a personal capacity that Jesus does before he comes to the cross. Now, one constant thing that we would have noticed throughout his journey towards Jerusalem is that we see Jesus teaching through various means, either through miracles or parables or discourses about what the kingdom of God looks like and how it arrives. And this is exactly what Jesus is doing here too. Now, before we go on, uh, some of you would have done your Bible overview class and you tried to make a connection to Jericho in the Old Testament and try to think of biblical theology links between Rahab and this passage. Unfortunately, that doesn't quite work because this is a new Jericho built a few kilometers away from the old one. I know I'm disappointed as well. And with that, right, we are immediately introduced to one of the main characters in the passage, verse 2. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So what is the significance of us being told by Luke that Zacchaeus is a rich man and the chief tax collector? We see mentions of tax collector 
throughout Luke's Gospel. And whenever tax collectors have popped up, we kind of see that they are negative viewed by the people of Israel. And even when the narrative portrays the tax collector in a positive light, such as Levi, who follows Jesus, or the tax collector that pleaded with God to have mercy on him, it is always something that Luke intentionally places in his gospel to shock and surprise the reader. It's to make you engage with what Jesus is doing. Now, if there's anyone here who works for the Malaysian tax department, don't worry. I don't think Luke has anything against you. Right? So, unlike someone today who works with the government and deal with taxes, the tax collectors from back then were people who were considered traitors to Israelites, to the Israelites. One reason for this is that these are people who choose to work with the Roman government for their own benefit. They were collaborators with the Romans who were oppressing and ruling the Israelites. So that means a tax collector is someone who participates in kind of like a bidding war for the right to collect taxes from the people of Israel. You see, if you're a tax collector, you will compete with the other potential tax collector to offer the Roman government the highest bid you can for the right to collect taxes. So you come in, you offer an exorbitant price to ensure that you will win. And then if you win, the Roman Senate takes your money, you earn the authority to set and collect taxes, and then you go and make money. But because you have invested a lot to become a tax collector, and now that you have full authority over taxation, naturally you want to make good returns. So the more you have spent, the more you want to get back. And so you resort to unfair means of taxation. You start taxing everything under the sun. Perhaps instead of taxing based on the number of carts, you start taxing each of the wheels on the carts. And then you introduce a special tax for the spare wheels, if carts even have spare wheels. You tax in a manner that is unfair. You resort to coercion, fraud, bullying, all to squeeze as much money as you can. You can threaten businesses with delays that they cannot afford, especially those that are carrying fresh produce. Also, you can force them to cough up extra to speed up the process. So you see, tax collecting back then was an unethical business. A tax collector is probably closer to the gangsters and the mafias of today rather than the office staff that we see in the tax department. So this means tax collectors are despised, ostracized, considered as traitors, and they are rejected by the Israelites. These betrayers of the people of Israelites are considered unclean, cut off from the camp of Israelites. In fact, they were categorized together with thieves and prostitutes. That is why we often see the term tax collector and sinners used. Right? They are lumped together with the sinful and the unclean, a picture of the rejection they face. And this man, Zacchaeus, he isn't just a tax collector. He is the chief tax collector, the one to whom all the other tax collector reports to. See? Zacchaeus, being declared rich in the passage, shows us that his riches has come from tax collecting through unethical means. This is a wicked man who has sacrificed principles for profit. 
And here's the irony in this, friends. The name Zacchaeus means clean or innocent. And the picture that Luke paints for us is that of a rich, corrupt, unethical thug. Right? Instead of the regular garden variety gangsters that we see in movie, you can think of Zacchaeus as more like Don Corleone, the godfather. And just when we think we know how wicked this Zacchaeus is, Luke throws us a twist. Verse 3. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. This wicked man is shown to be seeking Jesus. And not only that, he actually wants to see who Jesus is. Now, we don't want to read too much into this. It is very likely that he isn't seeking Jesus to become his disciple, but rather he just wants to see Jesus. Right? So he just wants to see the big celebrity that came to his town. But of course... Unfortunately, he wasn't able to see Jesus because he was a short man. You see, Jesus tended to attract massive crowds that came to see this miracle worker, the great teacher, this controversial figure. Was he a madman? Was he demon-possessed? Or was he the son of David coming to his throne in Jerusalem? Can you imagine the crowd that gathered out of curiosity? We've all been to places with huge crowds of people, right? The Chinese will say, people mountain, people sea. Now, in this kind of circumstances, even for those of average height, it can be a challenge. So you can imagine Zacchaeus trying hard to get a look, jumping up and down, but he just can't see anything. So he knows he can't talk to the people and convince them to let him go in front. They hate him. He knows that in this situation, he isn't going to be seeing anything beyond a mountain of nostrils and armpits. So what can he do? A simple answer is, of course, to go home, have a drink, and chill. Yet, interestingly, we see in the passage that he chooses a different response. Verse 4, So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass this way. His desire to see Jesus is pretty genuine, and he isn't going to give up now. He ran up to the sycamore tree. The sycamore tree is a tree that's easy to climb. It's leafy and the branches spread out. And so we can imagine Zacchaeus climbing up the tree, determined to get a glimpse at Jesus when he was passing by. However, there is also another possibility of why he is climbing the tree, knowing that the people there reject him. Perhaps Zacchaeus chose that big leafy tree to stay out of view from the crowd as he wanted to stay there and see Jesus pass. He is, after all, a rejected man unwelcome, cut off from the people of Israel. And now up to here, we do see kind of a picture that's showing us that Zacchaeus is looking for Jesus. But remember, what Zacchaeus is doing is actually no different than anyone else in the crowd. They are all here for celebrity watching. But in verse 5, we see something different. Verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Suddenly, Jesus looks up the tree and calls him by name. The text doesn't tell us if Jesus heard someone calling his name or whether this was a supernatural thing. And if it was a supernatural thing, then it shouldn't surprise us, since we are talking about a man that brings the dead back to life. Interestingly, Jesus knowing his name might have some significance. In Isaiah 43, we hear God saying, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. 
I have called you by name, you are mine. The Gospel of John we hear. The sheep hears his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. There, there is a picture in scripture of God knowing his people and it indicates that he will call and they will respond in an obedient manner which leads to their salvation. So we see in the text, Jesus calls him and asks him to hurry and come down. And what does Zacchaeus do? Verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He hurries and come down. Exactly what Jesus commanded. He obeyed Jesus. More than that, he received Jesus joyfully. Now, let me go back a little at this point. Did you notice that Jesus said, I must stay at your house today? What does this mean? Now, this isn't Jesus trying to snag a free bed and breakfast from the richest man in town, right? But rather, what is happening here is that by saying that he must stay in Zacchaeus' house, Jesus is saying that there's something that is compelling him to have a relationship with Zacchaeus. He wants to be friends with him. And this friendship that Jesus offers is something that Jesus must do before he goes to Jerusalem. So what Jesus is doing here is that he's teaching us something. He's demonstrating something about his purposes in going off to Jerusalem. This offer of friendship is more than just a getting to know you moment. It has eternal consequences, as we will see a bit later. But before we do that, have a look at how the crowd responds in verse 7. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They all grumbled. Now, grumbling has always been portrayed as a bad thing that the Israelites keep on doing to their detriment. So, this isn't just a descriptive statement, but it is actually a judgmental statement that reveals an area of sinfulness in the hearts of the people. We can even presume that this might have included the disciples, since the passage said all grumble. The disciples at least should have known better than that, since they themselves have a tax collector with them. So why did I say it was an evidence of a sinful heart? Think about it. Who were they grumbling at? Zacchaeus? Not really. The complaint was that Jesus has gone to be Zacchaeus' guest. Jesus has given his friendship to Zacchaeus. Jesus has accepted the man that the Israelites has rejected. They couldn't accept this. In fact, if you look at the contrast of how the people first responded when Jesus began his ministry in Luke chapter 4, we actually hear this. And Jesus taught in the synagogues, being glorified by all. Glorified! So quickly does the adoration for Jesus that brought out this big crowd to come and look at him turn sour and turn into grumbling. We see here a glimpse of the human heart, don't we? One that seeks to prioritize our own will and reject God's will. You see, they wanted to decide who deserves to enter the kingdom of God. They would be thinking, surely only those we approve of would be worthy. And they couldn't accept 
This Jesus who has been talking about the kingdom of God, this Jesus who might be the son of David going on the way to the throne in Jerusalem, that this Jesus is going to choose such a terrible sinner like Zacchaeus to be associated with. But Jesus came to show them something about the kingdom of God. He came to teach them something. And we see a picture of how that works when Zacchaeus responds. Verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I restore it fourfold. You see, in response to this grace that Jesus showed Zacchaeus, we see a totally different man responding. Firstly, notice, he calls Jesus and he calls him Lord. This is definitely a good start. Then, we see him giving away half of his wealth to the poor. And in the context of that time, giving 20% of your wealth is considered very generous. 50% would have been seen as economic suicide. <laughs> Yet this man, who was previously considered selfish and wicked, is now giving generously to the poor. Something has changed inside Zacchaeus, and he now loves mercy. Next, we see him making a commitment that he will make a restitution to those he had defrauded. We see here a man that accepts and confesses his guilt. Can you see how this statement is indirectly equivalent to the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector? The tax collector beats his chest and acknowledges that he is a sinner before God. Zacchaeus, who was once greedy and wicked, doesn't only agree to do what the law required, which was to return what was taken with one-fifth extra payment, 20%. But instead, he chooses to take on a more strict judgment on himself. He offers a fourfold compensation. Something has changed inside Zacchaeus, and he now loves justice. Can you see, friends, that responding to Jesus, accepting him joyfully, this wicked man, greedy, hoarded his wealth at the cost of others, is now a changed man, one that loves justice and mercy, one that is starting to mirror his Lord Jesus in very significant ways. And verse 9, Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. There were many people gathered to see Jesus that day. So many houses that Jesus could have chosen to stay in, yet salvation came to this house. And the reason given for this salvation is because Zacchaeus is also a son of Abraham. Now, I think this means what Genesis tells us about Abraham. In Genesis 15:6, we are told that Abraham believed in the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. It was by faith that Abraham found the salvation of the Lord. And it was by faith that Zacchaeus is now saved. 
because he responded in faith to God, now he is counted as a son of Abraham. And we do see that faith in action by his conviction in following Jesus. We see that conviction clearly through his heart that repents of his sin and is now desiring mercy and justice. Remember the needle and the camel? That was from the account of Jesus and the rich man. The rich man came to Jesus trusting in his own righteousness and was shown that his own righteousness fails before the standard that God has set. He could not serve God because he loved money more. So what makes Zacchaeus special? The rich man surely has tried his best to follow the commandment as best as he can. And meanwhile, by comparison, Zacchaeus is a wicked man, or at the very least, unclean by Jewish standard. Jesus taught us that with man, it is impossible. But with God, it is possible. It is God that changes the sinner's heart to be able to respond to his grace. It is God who calls people into his kingdom. You can see the irony, can't you? The crowd thought they were the true descendants of Abraham and this sinner, Zacchaeus, is rejected by them. But Jesus shows them that because Zacchaeus responded in faith, he belongs to the true Israel. He is the real son of Abraham. The outcast is called into the kingdom of God. And those that think they belong are not. Have you realized that if you think of the story of the rich man and Jesus and Zacchaeus as part of a chiasm, a sandwich, then you have at the center of the sandwich the meat that shows the main point of what Jesus is teaching throughout Jericho. Two events that we saw in last week's sermon. One is Jesus proclaiming that the Son of Man must die and be raised again. And second is we see how faith saves the blind man. Put both of them together and we see the purpose of why Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Jesus must die and be raised so that by faith people can be saved. Verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In this passage, we see how Jesus came to seek Zacchaeus. That was his goal here. And that was why he must stay with him that day even though he had bigger things waiting for him at Jerusalem. He came to seek Zacchaeus who was lost and is now found. It would have been impossible for Zacchaeus to work out his salvation, but through God, through the initiative of Jesus, who looked up that tree and called him, it became possible that Zacchaeus succeeded where the eager rich man in chapter 18 failed. This then points us to our Old Testament reading for today from Ezekiel 34. Uh, keep one finger in Luke and flip with me to Ezekiel 34. I cheated, I put it a sheet here. There you go. Right, so if you skim through the passage that was read, um, verse 11 says, God says, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. And as you read through this amazing promise by God that he will do what all the shepherds of Israel has failed to do, we see this picture of God calling his people, gathering them as his sheep, making them his flock. God gathering his kingdom. 
Then as we continue down, we come to verse 16. I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. And we see the same theme here in Luke with a slight difference. Jesus is revealed to be this great shepherd who's coming to seek and save the lost. Jesus is the one who shows mercy by healing, strengthening the flock, saving them. Jesus is the one who is concerned with justice. And here in this town of Jericho, about 24 kilometers away from Jerusalem, on the last leg of his journey, as we see this salvation worked out in Zacchaeus' life, we are shown a picture this Old Testament prophecy fulfilled as Jesus goes on to make full payment for the rescue of God's people. In extending his friendship to Zacchaeus this day, Jesus is not just making the sins of the wicked man Zacchaeus disappear as if justice didn't matter. He cares for justice. Rather, he is going to pay the ultimate cross by bearing the sins of his people on the cross so that they can be saved. Can we see how Jesus, therefore, is the shepherd who came to lay down his life for the flock? He came to seek the lost, and it is to that end that he goes to the cross. Can we see how Zacchaeus is the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep, one of the ones that Jesus came to save. One of the ones that Jesus came to die for. So what does that mean to us? Now, if you are here as someone who don't know Jesus, maybe you just came here because your friends invited you. Maybe you were promised food and all you got was a cup of coffee and some snacks. And you are wondering, what are you doing here? Or maybe you were just curious to know more about Jesus, like Zacchaeus. This message today then is for you. Know that Jesus comes to seek and save the lost. Maybe you belong to a different group. Maybe you're someone here who professes to be a Christian, but perhaps you don't really know Jesus. Your life has never really been marked with change in response to following Jesus. Your family comes to church, you follow them to church. You don't think of him as Lord that you obey and follow. Then this message is for you today. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Just like Jesus called out to Zacchaeus, this passage today was your call from Jesus. Will you obey? Come to him and gladly receive him. You see, your previous sins do not matter. Your righteousness do not matter. Your status do not matter. What matters at this point is simply how do you respond to Jesus calling you to himself today? Will salvation come to your home today? Salvation can only come from God. Salvation 
only comes through us coming into relationship with Jesus. It does not depend on our moral perfection, which is actually good news for us. Because just like Zacchaeus, we too have sinned in many different ways. If you responded in your heart to Jesus today, if you accept him to be your Lord and Savior, then come and talk to me or tell someone that you know today so we can be encouraging you, so we can help you to know more about him. For the rest, there is a danger that we might be like the crowd which rejected Zacchaeus on, on the basis of his sinfulness, right? But we are all in the same boat. Sinners, each and every one of us, none deserving to enter the kingdom of God. It is only through our response to Jesus, to the call that he has made, can we come into kingdom. So be humble, share the gospel to everyone without judging anyone as unworthy. And for those of you who have already tasted the salvation of God, for those here who genuinely have come to Christ, then Zacchaeus shows us something about how we should look like, doesn't he? Do we desire to be like Jesus? Do we love mercy and justice? Do we seek to right the wrongs that we have caused? The harm that we have done? Do we? Zacchaeus did. And I'm pretty sure he did not remain a rich man for long. Following Jesus does come at a cost. So how does our commitment to follow after Jesus and be like him changing our lives? Does it change your life? And this is something for us to examine. And it is when we see that changed life, do we get assurance that our repentance is genuine? Give a testimony of your salvation by the actions that you take, by the character that you show. Be merciful. Seek justice. And friends, another point. Jesus took the time to show people how they can enter the kingdom of God. Even though he was on the way to Jerusalem, he still had time. So what stops you from sharing the gospel? If you follow your Lord, then be like him. Take the time to share the gospel. If Jesus thought it was important, it should be important to us. And more importantly, know that if you are safe, it is only through the mercy of Jesus. So respond to him by giving thanks to Jesus all the days of your life. So I hope that as we go back, we can reflect on lives. Are we responding rightly to him? Are we giving up to him the things that we should not be doing? And I hope that what we have heard here today changes our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you thanks for Jesus. 
thank you for the mystery of the cross that is revealed when our Savior hung on it. Thank you for purchasing us with his blood. And Father, we ask you to be working in our hearts. For those of us here who do not know your Son, bring them to you, bring them to Jesus. For those of us who know Jesus, Lord, keep on working in us. We know that we are stubborn and hard-hearted. But change us, Lord, so that we can serve you in a fresh and new way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.